0: This episode originally aired on September 1st, 2022 as a Patreon-exclusive episode. We have decided to release it as this week's regular episode. If you enjoyed and would like to support us, then check out our Patreon, which has more than 120 episodes that you can only get on Patreon for just $5. No pressure though, we love you either way. Anyway, enjoy the episode.
1: Theories of the third kind. Patreon exclusive.
0: Welcome. First off, I want to say thank you to whomever you are listening for opening your minds to receive extra knowledge nuggets each week. It means a lot to all of us, and I want you to know that. Also, before we start, since you are a Patreon subscriber, remember that you get priority in topic suggestions.
2: So feel free to shoot those suggestions on over to us, either by email, Instagram, Facebook, Discord, direct message, or you can write us a letter and send it to our PO box. All right, so today's episode is actually a two-topic special, something we have never done before, okay? It's not like A Theory's Thursday. And It is not like A theories Thursday, okay? We were trying to figure out what can we do to make it up To you listeners. Okay. And we said, let's do two topics and let's just smash them together. All right. And the reason we decided to do that is because last week we were extremely busy, as you may know, with podcast movement and all that stuff. And we'll get into that at the end of the show. We'll talk about that in detail. But guilt washed over us. Okay. We said, we got to give them something back, something more than just an apology video wearing a paper bag mask, Dan.
0: You know what? You hate on that paper bag mask, okay? You hate on it, but it was, it was something special. I liked it. I liked it, and I'm
2: proud of you for doing it. But, like I said, me and Dan,
0: was like, we got to give him something more. Ain't that right, Dan? That is right. We honestly felt really guilty about not being able to produce an episode, and it ruined our 120-episode streak. It's just something that we did not want to happen.
2: For 120 weeks straight, every week. We recorded an episode and produced one and put it out there. And then I was like, motherfucker, we didn't put one out. We broke the streak. But, hey, we're going to start it up again. And instead of 120-episode streak, we're going to go for 240, baby. 240? Two for- you know what? I am down for that. That's a lot of freak. How many How many years is that? How many weeks are in a year? I'm not that smart, Dan. Don't look at me like that.
0: I'm not smart either. I don't know how many what weeks.
2: Is it, 52 weeks in a year? Something like that. 52 weeks in a year. Okay. So, let's see. How many? 240 weeks? That's, that's four and a half years. God damn, I don't know if I'm going to be alive that long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're alive that long. I don't know. I
2: guess we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, all right, so like I said, this episode is a two-topic special, and it is over the Chronovisor and the Utsuro Boon UFO. So how this episode will go today is that we'll first cover the Atsuro Boon UFO And we'll talk about that story and how it all happened, and then the strange facts and findings, and then our theories behind it. And then we will transition into the chronovisor, which we'll talk about that, and go into the full details, strange facts and findings, theories. And then, of course, at the end, we'll talk about our personal thoughts and theories about both of them. And then we'll transition into free talk and talk about the podcast movement, the meet and greet, and how all of that went which we got a ton of stories about that, and honestly, that could be its own episode, but we'll kind of give you the short version of what happened. Yeah. All right, so with that being said, I guess let's get into our first topic today. Dan, you want to start it off
0: for us? Of course. All right, so the first topic that we're going to discuss is about a mysterious hollow ship in Japan. And I know it might not sound like much, but trust us, Because as we were looking for strange topics to cover this week, we ended up coming across this one. Didn't think much about it. However, once we read into it, we all knew that we had to cover it. And I was just like, we got to. There's no way around it.
2: Yeah, and I was like, I'm going to respect your ancestors. Okay, respect.
0: We're going to cover it. Let me go grab my samurai sword and just slash you because I'm not Japanese. Oh, yeah, that's right. My bad. All right. So this topic is called the Boon UFO. But just a little FYI, the utsuro means hollow boat in Japanese.
2: All right, so like Dan said, to start this season five off right, uh, we wanted to cover something crazy, right? We came across this story. It was like, we, we got to cover it. And I figured this would be the perfect time for us to whoo, whoo, dust off our Montauk chairs and saddle up. Oh, boy.
0: Montauk Ooh. chairs ready.
2: Oh, baby. All right, strap in because we're going to go back in time. So let me know when you're all strapped in, Dan.
0: All right, I'm strapped in and strapped on. Let's go.
2: All right, set your time dial to February 22nd, 1803. All right, set. Okay. Now, where are we heading exactly? I don't fucking know. I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just kidding. All right, we're actually going to go to Hitachi, Japan, which is right off The coast of Japan, to be exact. All right?
0: Okay. Okay. All
2: right. So you strapped in, ready to go? I'm ready. All right. And go. All right. So here we are, Dan. It's 1803, and we are standing on the coast of Hitachi, Japan. Konnichiwa. Hey, very good. I'm proud of you. Did you learn that on your way over? Yes, I did. No, oh, congratulations. All right. So as you can see, there's a bunch of little Japanese men running around in kimonos. You know, some people are over there eating rice. What are the samurais doing, Dan? I can look. I can see them, but what are they doing?
0: It seems like those samurais are providing spiritual guidance instead of fighting guidance. I'm guessing they got tired of all that fighting that was going on in the 1600s.
2: Oh, yeah, you were exactly right. And did you know, here's a a random fact for you, a little knowledge nugget, samurais, they actually had their nuts cut off. I did not know that. 100% true fact. The emperor made all the samurais cut their nuts off. Why? Uh, I think it was for them not to uh, have sexual intercourse and all they thought about was like fighting, which you would think that would make them more like girly since they don't got testosterone, but let's look it up. Samurais uh, testicles for sale. Oh my God, who's selling samurai testicles?
0: (laughs) (laughs) They at least come in a set.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Samurais testicles cut off. Okay, there's nothing online for it, but I'm 100% sure that happened, okay? Because I remember reading about that.
0: What kind of book were you reading (laughs) there? I don't know. I don't know.
2: Anyway. All right. So you have the samurais over there. You got guys running around in kimonos. You got these Japanese sex workers over there asking people for sucky suckies. So this is Japan in 1803. All right. And real quick, before we start walking down this coastline that we're standing on, We need to know a little bit about the current situation and the history of Japan, because this all kind of plays a role. All right. So, Dan, hit the listeners with some history knowledge
0: real quick. All right. So during this time in history, Japan had been kept completely isolated from the rest of the world, living in a feudal society entirely, and they avoided any foreign influence, especially from the West. So, seeing some white people on the beach, you know, walking around would be really weird to them. And it is something to keep in mind while we are going over this story 100%.
2: Anyways, so here we are, right? Just like I've said multiple times. We're on this beach in Japan, and it is 1803. Now, what are we looking for exactly? Well, if you take a look over there into the ocean, you see that? It's Kazila! <laughs> My God, it's not Godzilla. Seriously, though, if you look over there, you will see a fishing boat. Inside that fishing boat is some local fishermen. They're sitting there and they're minding their own business, you know, just catching fish, making a living. Now, if you watch closely, you can see those fishermen that they're about to notice something weird that is in the distance, just floating in the water. So, as you can see, The fishermen just became curious as to what the hell that is, floating in the water, a little bit away from them, and they started to head towards it. They're hooking up to this object that's in the water, and they're starting to tow this object back to the shore. Now, before they get back to the shore and see two white guys, actually one half-white guy and one other white guy who... uh, Would you say I'm 100% white? I would pro- I, I'd probably be looking Nordic to them, right? Or maybe like Jesus? Like Jesus, probably. Okay. All right. You might blend in with them. I don't know. Um, but anyways, Mother. B- before they notice us, let's head back to the studio and discuss what happens next. So let's hop in our Montauk chairs.
0: I'm ready to go. All right. And go. Okay, And we're back. And Aaron, what's that on the back of your shoes? Is that is that a set of samurai testicles that you got attached to your shoes?
2: No, it's not, Dan. That's a crab that I actually carried with me. Oh, damn. All right, man. It's been a while since we've done that. I, I feel a little nauseous, but, you know, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. All right. Well, let's continue on with this story. All right. So where we left off was where the fishermen were towing back this weird object that was floating in the ocean, right? They hooked onto it. They were towing it back to the shore. Now, tell us what happens after that, Dan.
0: All right. So now once they got this odd-looking object back to the shore, it was something that they have never seen before. It was like a large, weird, dish-shaped craft that is 3.3 meters high and about 5.45 meters wide
2: All right, give us feet measurements because we're the United States listeners or majority of us.
0: All right, so it was like almost 11 feet high and about almost 18 feet wide. Okay, all right. Now, the shape of the hollow craft resembled a wooden rice pit. All right, so yeah, wooden rice pit. I'm guessing it's those big wooden rice bowls. I'm not from Japan. I've never used one. Mm -hmm. I have a little rice storage container that I push a button and it lets rice out. Oh, fancy. Right? I just got one. But yeah. The upper part of this craft appeared to be made of a red coated rosewood with several windows made of glass or crystal, covered with bars and clogged with some kind of tree resin. Now, the lower part of the craft was covered with some plates, and these fishermen assumed it was to protect it against the sharp edged rocks. Now, the windows looked like ones that you would find on a modern space shuttle, and they were completely transparent. These windows baffled the fishermen because they had never seen anything like it before. So they decided to, you know, put their faces up to the glass and look in, see what the hell's going on.
2: Like a bunch of creepers,
0: huh? Oh, what you doing in there?
2: What are, do- what are you aliens doing inside there?
0: Now, the inner side of the craft was decorated with text written in unknown language. The fishermen also saw multiple bedsheets inside of it, as well as a bottle filled with 3.6 liters of water, some cake, and kneaded meat. Now, this is what I didn't understand. Because
2: they were very specific on the on the amount of water. You think in like the midst of all this, they were just like, Qu- quick, we must use our superior math skills to calculate the amount of water that's inside of that bottle. That's what I thought, man. Or maybe they just bullshitted and said, hey, it's 3.6 liters of water.
0: I would have just said like, it was just filled with water. <laughs> yeah, like a bottle filled
2: with water. But they were they got specific with it. Anyway. So, as the fishermen were looking inside of this craft, there was a hatch on the side of it that opened up. Now, out of this hatch walked a young, beautiful woman. Now, this lady was around 18 to 20 years old and stood five feet tall.
0: Dang. She must have been a giant compared to them, anyways. You know, big man Japan, this is big woman in America. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my God, you're horrible, Dan. But, yeah, uh, she must have been a, a giant. I, I agree. Um, so, <laughs> God damn it. So the woman had red eyebrows and red hair uh, that had white extensions. So, yeah, hey, red, red eyebrows, red hair, like the giant of Kandahar in our regular episode. Yeah, okay, makes sense. So her skin was very pale pink in color. She was dressed in clothes that the fishermen had never seen before. And the language she spoke, no one could understand. And she could not understand the fisherman either. So, of course, no one could ask her where she came from. She was just saying some gibberish. The fishermen were saying gibberish back. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. However, she was friendly even though, like, nobody could communicate with her ass, she was pretty friendly. Now, there was one thing that was kind of odd about her, and that was the entire time that this was going on, Well, when she, like, walked out of her spacecraft that was floating in water, and they were trying to communicate with her, and she was trying to communicate with them. She was holding this 24-inch around box that was made from some material that was, like, pale color. Now, another thing weird is that she wouldn't allow anyone to touch this box. Some of the fishermen were like, hey, they kind of reached out to, like, touch it or something. And she was like, no, 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 You you ain't touching my box. She, like, held it very close and wouldn't allow anyone to get close to it. And there was even one occasion where a man, where one of the fishermen lunged forward and tried to grab it from her. But she ended up getting her long nails and grabbed his genitals and ripped them off.
0: So that's how the Samurais had their testicles removed?
2: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That, that part was made up. Oh. <laughs> Nobody touched her box and she didn't, uh, she didn't rip any balls off and no one got hurt. Okay, that's good then. So yeah, the, uh, the people there, not only the fishermen, but multiple other people started showing up. They didn't know what to do with her, you know, because all she did was just kind of sit there, or not sit there, but stand there and smile, and guard her box. So this is when the people said, hey, follow us, which they got her to follow them, and they decided to take her inland to one of their elders. Now tell us what the elder said, Dan.
0: The elder was like, yep, she doesn't speak Japanese.
2: <laughs> That's all he said. They brought, the, they brought her into this elder, and he sat there, and he just kind of looked at her, and they were like, what should we do? He was like, yeah, she doesn't speak Japanese.
0: Yeah, everyone was just like, we, we already know that. Like, we know she doesn't speak, you know, Japanese. Such a smart elder there. But yeah, the elder then just sat there for a while and then said that he knew why she was here.
2: Yeah, he was kind of like pondering for a little while, and it's almost like he kind of made something up. Tell us what happened next.
0: All right. he stated that she was probably abandoned into the sea by her country as a punishment and that her husband's head must be in the box she was guarding. Then the elder also said it would become a bother if the Japanese government found this out. So what do you think he decided to do with her? Hell, I don't know. Well, they were just like, we're just going to put her back in her little craft that she floated in on and you know we're going to push it back out to sea for it to drift away. And pretty much they were just like, Yo, ass don't speak Japanese. Well, then. Back to the ocean you go. See ya, bitch. <laughs> damn. You know, that's what they said to her. Or at least that's what they were
2: thinking. Your ass don't speak Japanese. See ya. That's what they did to her, which is fucked up, you know? They were like, here, go back in your ship. They closed the hatch, and they just pushed it back out in the
0: sea. And just so you know, I did not mean to go into, like, an Asian accent on that. I was just reading it, and it just happened.
2: Hey, it, I, we give you a free pass on it. You get that pass, Okay. You get it. All right. So there you go. that right there is the story that is called Utsuro-bun UFO. And this story is actually a very popular one. It appears in three different Japanese ancient texts, and it is a very popular story in Japanese culture. So it's not just like one of those one-off things that somebody made up. It appears multiple times. And this kind of takes us to our theory section, you know? Like, who was this woman? What could have been in the box? Why did she show up? So let's start theorizing. What do you think she was, Dan? Do you think she was just like a, a normal person that got like sidetracked from some other country and floated her way to
0: Japan? I believe she was from some other country and she floated to Japan. But the more I thought about it, I remember there's this one guy who kept getting caught by like the coast guard, I want to say. He would get into like a clear like boat thing and he would have like supplies and stuff and he would see how long he could last out in sea. I don't know if you remember that.
2: I do not.
0: Yeah, like he he's got caught multiple times trying to do it because, you know, he just ends up floating out there. They end up finding him or whatever. But yeah, it's like it kind of reminds me of her shuttle, kind of reminds me of that. But, you know, hers was more I guess, uh, shaded with all the stuff on it and made of different material, not plastic. I mean, it's 1800s. So, I mean, I'm kind of thinking like it was like an experiment to see how far she would go and probably in that box was probably a communication device of some sort made back then.
2: You don't think that she was maybe an alien?
0: I mean, she's one unlucky alien because they pushed her ass back in the water and that obviously UFO is not working. So, I mean, I hope not, but Yeah.
2: Uh, one unlucky alien, I would say. 100%, if if she was. But I, I don't think she was. I have a theory for this. You ready? Let me hear it. I think she was from Russia. Okay? From Russia, you say? Russia, okay? Now, hear me out on this. She was part of sort of like a ritual sacrifice, okay? So these objects that were found in her vessel kind of make it sound like someone she was bound to kind of like died, whether it be like her husband or maybe like a miscarriage, and that it was her duty to kind of like follow this death into the afterlife, right? So maybe it was a a miscarriage that she had, and she placed it in that box, which could have explained why she kept it so tightly to her and didn't let anyone touch it, you know? That kind of explains the box, right? And let's say she was drifted out to sea, and uh, maybe she just hit a certain tide that carried her in. And uh, she was like, whoa, maybe I'm in the afterlife. Look at all these weird people I've never seen before. They're speaking all these weird languages. And then they're like, boop, back out to the ocean you go, bitch. (laughs) They kick her back out. She's like, damn.
0: Oh, no. I I feel like if that was the case, they probably would have sealed her ass in there so she couldn't get out. Unless the... Japanese men and fishermen like broke her out of it I feel like they would have sealed it in because as you were saying that made me think of like uh I'm not sure if it was like the Norse like the Nordic people or like Vikings or something they're uh I guess like the king or something died they the wife would like go with them it's I think
2: yep and if, if if you look at the geographical maps and you look at Russia the sea has major currents right and one of these major currents runs from Russia and down to the east coast of Japan, which is right towards Hitachi. So the current shows that. So it's more than likely, I mean, I think that's what, what happened. She got pushed out to sea to go in the afterlife, got picked up by this current, and landed in Hitachi.
0: All right, I mean, that. I didn't even think about the tides and like where it ran to. I'm trying to see if I can find something of it. Here's a one of the world map. Oh, my God, it is flat.
2: (laughs) Oh, God damn it, Dan. All right. I can't find it right now. But if I find it, I'll link it up. There is tides in the sea that go from Russia down towards Japan, Hitachi. And it's one of the major ones.
0: It's the Kamchatka?
2: I don't even know how to spell that. What is that with a K? K -K
0: K-A-M-C-H-A-T-K-A. It looks like it runs from Russia down to what? looks like japan then it's the Kuroshio current okay
2: yeah i see it right here i have this picture i'll uh i'll link it up on uh patreon for everyone to take a look at i i think 100 percent right there we solved it what this Utsuro boon was just a okay. woman that got pushed out to sea and kind of like hey here you go so is there any other theories you want to talk about uh concerning this Itsuro boon before we get into the Chronovisor?
0: I don't know. You said they were at Hitachi Japan, right? Yes. Alright. Maybe, just maybe, I think I might have solved it.
2: Solved what? What what was in the box? Or her?
0: What was in the box? Okay. It was obviously the Hitachi magic wand.
2: Oh my god. Alright. Well, that is the Itsuro Boon UFO right there, ladies and gentlemen. If you have any other theories as to what it could have been, leave a comment or send us an email. We'd love to discuss it with you.
0: And if you think it was the Hitachi Magic Wand, let Aaron know.
2: (laughs) All right. So let's get into our next topic. Are you ready for this one, Dan? This is my favorite.
0: I am ready for this one. You seem excited about this one.
2: Ooh, I'm so excited. All right. Before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So, what if I was to tell you, Dan, that there was a device that allowed you to view into the past as well as into the future, and this device was kind of like a VR device that you looked into, and it was being guarded by the Vatican. What would you say? Would you call me crazy? More than likely you would.
0: Kind of crazy for the device, but when you mention the Vatican hiding it, I start to question if you are crazy or not, because, shit, who knows? They have a ton of stuff down there.
2: Yeah, we need to cover an episode over them.
0: Yeah, we do. There are vaults of stuff down there. Mm Mm-hmm. All
2: right, so that device is exactly what our second topic is over today, and it is called the chronovisor, okay? And to understand this device exactly, I need us, again, to hop in our Montauk chairs so that we can go back in time.
0: Oh, Montauk chair again. Dude, we're putting these things to use today.
2: Yeah, we are. You know, we didn't use them for, for a while. It's been a while. I want to say like almost over a year.
0: I mean, they've, they've got their battery charged all the way up. We could continuously use these things for a while.
2: Hell yeah, I like that. All right, so let's go ahead and strap ourselves back in. And uh, set our dials to the early 1960s and set the destination to Venice, Italy. All right. All right. You
0: all set? I. Oh, wait a second. Oh, okay. I'm good. I'm good.
2: All right. And go.
0: All right, y'all good, Dan? You nauseous or anything? I am good this time. No uh, nausea going on, so I'm good.
2: All right, nice. So here we are. If you look around, you can clearly see it's the early 1960s and we are in Venice, Italy. Specifically, we are on a ferry ride that is crossing the Grand Canal.
0: Why are we on this ferry though?
2: Well, if you look over there in the corner, You see that? You see those two priests sitting next to one another?
0: Yeah, I see them.
2: All right. Well, those two individuals are Father Pellegrino Ernetti, and the other one is Father Francis Brune. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk over there close to him, but we're not going to let him see us, and we're actually going to listen in and hear what they are talking about. So we're pretty much going to eavesdrop, okay? All right. That works for me. All right, so let's go listen to what they're talking about.
1: Father Francis Brune approaches Father Pellegrino Arnetti and shakes his hand. Father Brune says
0: the following. It is so very nice to finally be able to meet you, Brother Arnetti. I heard that you share a love of studying ancient languages, as I do.
1: Father Brune extends his hand and firmly shakes Father Arnetti's.
0: Ah,
2: it's nice to meet you as well, Brother Brune. Why, yes, I do love studying the old languages and whatnot.
1: They both weirdly gaze into each other's eyes. Father Brune decides to break the silence.
0: Brother Annette, I have a question for you.
1: Why, go ahead, my
2: child. I mean, brother.
0: Do you have any issues with interpreting scriptures? You know, like understanding the Bible at times and what it exactly means in certain parts.
1: Father Urnetti leans in close to Father Brune's face. His lips almost touch Father Brune's ear. Father Ernetti whispers,
2: There is a machine that could easily answer all your questions.
1: Father Brune steps back and looks puzzled at Father Ernetti.
0: I do not understand, Brother Ernetti. A machine that will answer my questions?
2: Yes, my child. I mean, brother. Your questions will be answered tonight. Just come to my 12 foot by 12 foot house tonight, and I will show you this machine.
1: Fast forward to later that night. Father Brune is dressed in his best robe and arrives at Father Ernetti's 12 by 12 foot cell. He knocks on the door. Father Ernetti answers. I knew you would come.
2: Please, please step inside.
1: Father Brune steps inside and looks around. He starts to remove his coat when Father Ernetti helps him. On accident, he slightly grazes Father Brune's nipple. Oops,
0: got you right there, didn't I?
1: Father Brune looks at Father Ernetti with a serious
0: face. Look, where is this machine that I came here for?
2: Oh, why, yes, yes. Uh, It's it's over here. Look, look, here it is.
1: Father Annetti slaps his hand on top of a strange-looking device, something that looks sort of like a television.
0: So, explain to me what exactly... what that is.
2: This is what I call a chronovisor.
0: You see, this
2: is similar to a television, Brother Brun. But instead of receiving broadcasts from local transmission stations, this thing can tune into the past to allow me to view, see, and even hear events that have occurred years or even centuries ago. So there you go. That right there is what Father Pellegrino Ernetti and Father Francis Brune talked about that night. And of course, we're already back in our studio. As they were talking, we have headed back. Ain't that right, Dan?
0: Yeah, I didn't like where that was uh, kind of going.
2: Yeah, got a little weird. Got a little nipple play going on there. Got a little weird.
0: Father Annetti was uh, getting a little handsy, it seems.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was. All right. So that right there is how the chronovisor was introduced. Okay. But let's start from the beginning. Let's start with who the hell made this device. So, Dan, do you want to tell us about that?
0: Okay. Before we get into that, Aaron and I are going to take a quick break. We will be right back. All right. Welcome back. It all starts with Father Pellegrino Ernetti.
2: The one who grazed the nipple of the other one, the one that was getting a little weird. Grazing
0: uh, Father Brune's nipple. Okay,
2: all right. The one who invited Brune over to say, hey, look, look what I got. I got this.
0: Yes, come over to my house and let me graze your nipple. (laughs) I like that. But yeah, so Father Ernetti had been working with Father Agostino Gemelli at the Catholic University of Milan trying to filter harmonics out of the Georgian chants. So, while they were working on these weird-ass chants and filtering out harmonics, they both heard the voice of Jameli's late father speaking to them on the wire recorder they were using. This got the priest thinking about what happened to all the sights and sounds humans make. Did they disappear completely, or do they continue to exist in some way?
2: Yeah, so basically, they were working with these sounds, and they were like, hey, let's filter out these harmonics, and then somehow they picked up... Some voices, and they were like, Oh shit, do sounds disappear or do they exist as energy? And it kind of makes sense. And tell us what Ernetti did after they kind of like came up with this hypothesis of these sounds always being present as energy. What did Ernetti do after
0: that? So Ernetti approached some scientists and decided to assemble a team to work on the project to see if they could develop a device that could pick up the energy from sounds long ago and transform them into something that they could see. So, two of the individuals that helped in this project that was specifically picked by Ernetti was Enrico Fermi, who was one of the designers of the first atomic bomb, and the other individual selected was Werner von Braun, who was a German rocket scientist.
2: Yeah, and if you don't know much about Werner von Braun, let us hit you with some knowledge nuggets real quick, okay? Okay. So, in his early 20s and 30s, Werner von Braun worked in Nazi Germany's rocket development program. Now, he helped design and develop the V-2 rocket during World War II. Now, following the war, he was then secretly moved to the United States along with about 1,600 other Nazi German scientists, engineers, and technicians as part of a secret operation called Operation Paperclip. Now, von Braun then worked for the United States Army as an intermediate-ranged ballistic missile expert in their program. He ended up developing the rockets that actually launched the United States' first space satellite, Explorer 1. So he continued working for the United States, and he had like a little team, right? That was like a bunch of old Nazis that developed these rockets for the United States. Now, the United States government was like, hey, let's take this group and let's form them into an actual organization. And you know what they turned them into? NASA. No shit. And Warner Von Braun led NASA's development of the Saturn V rocket that actually took Apollo 11 to the moon. Supposedly. Supposedly. (laughs) So there you go. A little knowledge nugget history lesson for your ass that you can sit around the table during Thanksgiving and tell your old granny about.
0: Damn. The more you know.
2: Yep. And that is supposedly who was working on creating this chronovisor device. All right? Very nice. Yep. So... Let's actually discuss now how this device worked. So, Dan, do you want to tell us about that?
0: So, the chronovisor was described as a large cabinet with a cathode ray tube for viewing the received events and a series of buttons, levers, and other controls for selecting the time and the location to be viewed. It could also locate and track specific individuals. So, according to Father Ernetti, it worked by receiving decoding, and reproducing the electromagnetic radiation left behind from past events. It could also pick up the audio component or sound waves emitted by these same events. That is literally the only explanation he gave to how the device worked.
2: Now, Father Anetti also claimed that the chronovisor could be programmed to view and record specific times, locations, and look at people even in the past or the future. So, that gets us into talking about what exactly Father Ernetti claimed that he saw with this device. So, Father Ernetti supposedly said that he personally seen a number of important historical events using this chronovisor. The most notable one being the crucifixion of Christ. Oh, shit. Yeah, he supposedly witnessed Jesus Christ himself getting crucified. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ getting crucified. Yeah. Not cool. (laughs) So another thing that he said he witnessed was supposedly a speech given by Napoleon and uh, other various events, which I have to ask you, Dan, if you had this device and they were like, hey, you could see any event in the future or the past, what would it be?
0: Oh goodness, there's so many events. Um, I guess uh, when the was it the Declaration of Independence was signed? Maybe that. Jesus Christ, Dan, that's horrible. I mean, it's a historical event. It'd be cool to just be like, "Hey, you you fucked up your signature.
2: Gotcha, bitch. See ya."
0: <laughs> and then they had to like rewrite the whole thing over and re-sign it and everything.
2: Okay, I would like to see what um what happened at Roswell exactly, or how the pyramids were built.
0: Now pyramids built that would be a good one. Roswell, yes, you know, UFO, but the pyramids, that's a mystery, especially with how accurate those calculations were. They had some dinosaurs. They were riding dinosaurs back then.
2: All right. So let's get into where the device is supposedly now. Like, what happened to it? Where is it located? Now, when we started digging into this and started looking into it, there's actually multiple different stories as to what happened to the device itself. Now, one of those stories is that the Vatican still has it to this day and they actually hid it from the public. They were like, hey, let's store it away and it's too powerful for any human being to have. That's like the most commonly believed thing as to like where it's at. Now, there's something else mentioned as to what happened to it. And what is that, Dan?
0: Another one suggested that Father Nettie and his team decided to voluntarily dismantle the device because, since it could tune anywhere and anytime in the past, if it were to fall into wrong hands, it could create the scariest dictatorship the world has ever seen. Which, honestly, I'd think of more of them viewing the future and changing that up.
2: That's Hey, that's how the Mandela effect happens, right? That's true. They got this damn chronovisor changing shit up on us. Thanks a lot.
0: So, it's not even CERNed on it. It's the Vatican. <gasps> oh, Ooh, shit. snap.
2: All right. So, now we're going to get into strange facts and findings. Now, Dan, do you want to tell us about this first strange fact and finding?
0: Yeah. So, in 1988, the Vatican issued a decree in which it warned that anyone using an instrument of such characteristics would be excommunicated, which, if the chrono visor never existed, why would they need to issue a warning like that to everybody?
2: I have no idea. It makes no sense. But hey, 1988 is the year I was born. Ooh. Maybe I was the instrument. I'm just kidding. No way. I'm, just fucking, <laughs> I'm nobody. <laughs> Use me. Use me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next strange fact in finding that we're going to talk about was that in 1994, Father Ernetti had stated that Pope Pius XII forbade us to disclose any details about this device because the machine was very dangerous and it can restrain the freedom of man. I mean, that's pretty, that's a given, Father and Eddie, like, damn, you know? Yeah. Um, And I mean, honestly, it, it, w- it would be easy to kind of dismiss this Father and Eddie as being like a crackpot or like a compulsive liar, right? Yeah. But tell us a little bit about him outside of this chronovisor, right? You take away the chronovisor element and just tell us about him, okay?
0: So, Father Anetti, he was an extremely respected but quiet intellectual whose specialty was music, you know, sound. He spent most of his life doing research and teaching on this subject and was the author of such respected books as Words, Music, Rhythm, and the Work of Chant. Why would such a respected clergyman, academic, and author make such a wild story up?
2: I don't know. This story is very strange, and I don't know what to make of it. If somebody had a gun up to my head and said, do you believe it's real? Do you think there's a device out there? I would say maybe, because you have to think, right? Energy never dies. It never goes away. It's forever. Sound, energy, There's got to be a way to capture some historical sounds and convert them to some type of viewing for us humans, right? Maybe that's what dreams are. Maybe when we go to sleep, our brains pick up these fragments of past events that have happened that we are unaware of that have happened to other people, their memories, and that's what dreams are. But we insert ourselves into these dreams. So maybe that's what the chronovisor does. It actually allows you to see into other people's thoughts and dreams by tapping into this other element that we're unaware of.
0: See, that's a good one. Yeah, I was thinking, like, maybe ghosts. Using the energy of ghosts to, I guess, whatever ghost it is, it would see, like, their past, maybe. But I don't know about any... I mean, this one was... It could check any time, any location.
2: I just don't know how they could, like, tap into that, that specific timeline.
0: Yeah, I don't... It just doesn't seem... I mean, I'm not no scientist or anything, so it just doesn't seem like something like that could exist, really.
2: Yeah, but if it did, there'd be no way it'd be available to the public. They'd hide it. Yeah,
0: they would definitely hide it, especially in the vault where the Vatican is, because only certain people can actually view anything down there.
2: Yeah, instead of uh, raiding Area 51, we need to raid uh, underneath the Vatican. Now, I'm not, okay, I do not want to get charged with anything, okay? I'm not telling you what to do. You're your own person. You make your own decisions in life, okay? I'm not suggesting you to go do that, all right? I do not want to be sued.
0: It was just a joke, how they did the Area 51 raid.
2: Yeah, my suggestion is is not to be taken serious. I don't want to be kidnapped by uh, some priests and uh, tortured,
0: okay? All of a sudden, there's going to be a new Montauk chair adventure where we're watching Father Brun or Anetti in the past Slowly caressing Aaron's nipple. Oh,
1: Jesus
2: Christ. Are you going to talk now? (sighs) All right. So, gun to your head, Dan. Do you think the Chronovisor exists?
0: Even though I said what I said earlier, I think it might actually.
2: I'm right there with you. I think that there is some device out there that allows individuals to tap into some waves that we're unaware of, some historical sound waves or historical visual waves or historical something waves that we can't tap into normally. And uh, I, I think they figured it out, and they're like, hey, let's keep this technology under wraps. So I'm, I'm right there with you.
0: I'm trying to think of that one, either Disney or Pixar. I think it's Pixar or something. That uh, the kid, you know, oh, my, hang on. Let me see if I can find the movie real quick.
2: So you're saying there's a movie that a kid puts a device on his head that he can view the past. Device that views the past movie. The most important device in the universe. Time-lapse. Time machine. The black phone. 2,000 mules. That is not, that's not it. A device that views the past. Cartoon. All
0: right, it's this, the movie Meet the Robinsons. So, Lewis, the kid, he grew up in an orphanage because his mother left him, you know, by the steps and all this stuff. And he always wanted to go back and meet his mother. So, he ended up creating a device that... Had a screen, but if he put it on his head, it would read like his brain waves, and it would bring up the like the memory of his mother leaving him at the you know door of the orphanage. How fucking depressing is that? It was depressing, but then you know, it involves like going into the future, back to the past, stuff like that.
2: Is that it right there? I just linked the picture of it on the document. Well, let me check it out.
0: Doo-doo-doo. Yes, that is the device.
2: Okay. Uh, not how I envisioned the chronovisor. I envisioned the chronovisor more like a VR headset, not, uh, a device that goes on your head and then links to like a crystal ball that projects images.
0: Yep. And the helmet is not made of a pot or a strainer,
2: but yeah, I've never heard of or seen this cartoon or movie before in my life. Never, never. I am now in a parallel universe and you are not the
0: Dan that I used to know. Dude, I used to, I watched, anytime it came on, I would watch this one. It just. I don't know. It was a good movie. It was a heartfelt movie. Okay.
2: Well, it's very interesting. Good topics uh, for this Patreon episode. Chronovisor and the Itsuro Boon. Both very weird, but I love it.
0: See, now that I think about it, if I had the Chronovisor, I'm going to look up the winning lottery numbers.
2: <laughs> damn, Dan's going to become a billionaire.
0: No, not not that rich, because then people will notice. Just enough to where I can fly underneath the radar.
2: How much is just enough? Like $100 million? God damn, that's a lot.
0: I mean, just like a couple million to where you fly on the radar and then like pay off all debts and then have our studio built just like that or we'd be sent.
2: You know what I'd do? I'd go back and fuck it. I'd I'd get the billion, the the mega millions, but when it was like a billion, right? And then um, I would buy every single Super Bowl ad and I would just have it on us and we would not do anything. We'd just be sitting there eating a sandwich, looking at the TV with the people looking at us. Or maybe I, I, we could drop random knowledge nuggets about different companies. Ooh, that'll give us get us some uh, <laughs> that would get us hate. But yeah, that's what I'd do, and then I'd buy a big gigantic amount of land, and I'd uh, whoever wanted to come live on it could come live on it. It'd basically be like a cult a commune.
0: Eh, eh, eh. not a
2: commune. I don't know if that'd be a good idea. No. Maybe I wouldn't get a billion dollars. All right, change of plans. I wouldn't do that. I'd just still look at the dinosaurs and the pyramids.
0: Yeah. I don't know, I still want a couple million. Get everything set up and we just pretend like nothing ever happened.
2: My question is, let's just say hypothetically you did get millions of dollars. Would you still do the show?
0: Yes. Okay. I just need I just want enough to where we can get stuff situated and everything going good and then just live happily, but still do what we want to do. So
2: you aren't happy where you're where you are right now in life? I am happy, Aaron.
0: Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. I'm- I get to look out the window, see your house yeah. over there. And I'm just like, oh, Aaron's over there sleeping. I can go over there and brush his hair. Right. So I'm just checking on you, just making sure you're good, you know? I mean, when I first got here, I was just like, did I make the right choice?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you got a curse put on you.
0: Someone put a hex on me.
2: Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm curious to see what the listeners would do if they had the Coronavisor. If you or a loved one, got control of the chronovisor and you could use it once, what would you use it to view? Comment down below. I want to read everybody's response. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to these two topics today, Dan?
0: Yeah. If uh, if anybody heard any, like, ear slapping, any noises, that's because we have Koda in the room with us. I apologize for that. He's been sleeping most of the time, but he just woke up.
2: Yeah. So we're currently... um Still building the studio. We're only like 25% done. We still got to put everything up. We've got majority of the stuff. We just got to put it all up and get everything set up. So, yeah. We're still in the process. Still working hard. We actually really didn't even have a break during our break. There was no break at all. We stayed busy. And I guess this kind of takes us to our, our free talk. Yeah. Anyway, so I hope you all enjoyed the Chronovisor and Arturo Boone topics. And I love you.
0: And I'm proud of you. Yeah.
2: All right. So let's talk about podcast movement and what we've been doing during the break, which I say break. There was none. We had no break at all. There was no break at all. Dude, I've never
0: walked so much in my life <laughs> walking around. The-
2: of course, during our quote unquote break, we were busy getting the studio ready. Or well, even before that, Dan moved down, moved all the stuff in. I moved into my place. We were busy getting all the stuff ready for the studio, still building it, getting stuff ready for season five, responding to emails, making episodes, and then, of course, we had to go to podcast movement. I don't think I want to do another podcast movement. Well, I say that. Uh, it, it, podcast movement was okay. It was just, um, it was a lot. It was meeting a lot of people, uh, not listeners. This is just like CEOs and people of other podcasts.
0: It was very nerve wracking. It was. But I mean, it we did learn a lot from it, but it's not one of those. It's not like, say, a normal convention that you would go to, you know, meet people and all that stuff. It's literally like we went to like s- different seminars and stuff, listening on how we can improve the podcast, things we need to actually work towards and all that stuff, which honestly opened my eyes to a lot of things that we need to be focusing on.
2: Yep. Um, and then after that podcast movement, we ended up going to the True Crime Podcast Festival. Festival itself was good, but we did the meet and greet there and I really didn't think about it. And to be honest, we really shouldn't have had the meet and greet there at the True Crime Festival. What we should have done is we should have just had like everybody who wanted to meet us just meet up at like you were saying, like a Dave and Buster's or something.
0: We could have been met down in the lobby just to hang out
2: yeah the lobby of the hotel is something i didn't want people to pay like the 160 dollars to get into that true crime festival i was like damn i didn't even really think about that you know so next time we have another meet and greet it's just going to be a, like a lobby of a hotel that we're at or just like a place where we can all just hang out at no entry fee you just come on come inside and hang out with us and we'll have a bunch of shit we'll just give away because even at that True Crime Festival, we were giving away all of those enamel pins and stickers and all that. And we still got a ass load left.
0: Yeah, and we'll definitely let everyone know in advance. This was like last minute thing, too, because we were going to podcast movement. And then there just like, hey, you know, since you're in Dallas, you know, you want to come to the True Crime Festival and be here? And we're just like, sure, why not? You know, we'll see how it goes. And I mean, not really our cup of tea. but
2: No, not at all. Not our cup of tea. It was fun. Met some pretty good people there, but I think our next meet and greet is just going to be open, free. Anybody can come. We're going to have an ass load of stickers and those enamel pins we'll bring right along. So if you didn't get them at the uh, True Crime Festival, we're going to have them still and lots of them at the next meet and greet. So We're going
0: to be at, be at uh, what is it, Peter Piper's Pizza?
2: <laughs> Fuck it. Let's do it at Peter Piper. I don't give a shit. I'll do it anywhere. We've got to figure out the location. You know, we can't be traveling all the way across the world and we can't make a, a a tour of it. You know, we can't go to like Los Angeles, then Houston and all these other places because pretty much we're crunched on time each week.
0: Yeah. Unless we had a portable stu- uh, recording studio, which those are expensive. Yes, they are. Yes, they are.
2: Anyway, um, you have anything else you want to add or anything you want to talk about?
0: Let's see. Me and uh, Caleb, the first night in Dallas, we thought we were about to get mugged outside of the 7-Eleven. Oh, Jesus Christ.
2: All right, uh, l- let's, let's just talk about notable events that happened at the podcast movement. We'll actually make a whole episode later on about the podcast movement, but let's talk about the notable events. Now, was the card going missing before you got mugged or after?
0: That was after. Okay. So after the card went missing.
2: All right, so let me set the scene and then you could tell it. We get to Dallas, we get to the Sheraton Hotel, we check in, we get to our room, we decide to go downstairs to the lobby where all the other CEOs and podcasters are at, and they're all drinking around the hotel lobby bar. Pick up the story from there, Dan.
0: All right. So we were all down there because it was supposed to be like the, I think it was like seven to nine meet and greet networking thing to where you can meet other podcasters, uh, CEOs, whoever, right? Well, me, Aaron, and Caleb get down there, and we're just like, you know... We got to look like we're blending in. We we don't drink often at all, like it's very rarely. So we're just like, you know what? We're just going to get like three beers. So we decided to go with three dosekis. And so we end up giving our card to Caleb. He goes up there to, it pretty much is our business card. And he goes up there to get three Dosecchi's, hands the card to the bartender. He walks away and it's like not even a minute goes by. And he comes back and he's just like, like oh I lost your card, but uh here's three free dosakis on me then. Caleb comes back, hands us the beers, and he's just like, he lost our card. Me and Aaron are just like, what are you talking about? Lost a card?
2: It's literally been like 60 seconds.
0: Yeah, so we're just like, like we need that card because that's pretty much what our hotels paid with and everything. So we're just like, we we all go up to the bar and we're just like standing there, and this bartender's not even looking for the card. He just literally just going around. Serving drinks to everybody else. And we're just standing there like we were all mean mugging him as we're taking sips of this free Dos Equis. S- supposed free because he just lost our card. That's honestly, it's not free. So we're just like mean mugging him. And I think we stood there for like, what, 10 minutes?
2: Longer than that. 15 minutes, 20, somewhere around that.
0: And then finally, I I don't know if it was like a manager or something, saw us standing there. And he looked at me and he's just like, he like gave me like a signal like you good. and I'm like, no, and then Aaron sees him and then goes right up to him like, hey, you know, our card's missing, you know, lost our card, and the guy's just like, really, I forgot, like, I don't know what you said to him after that.
2: I said, we just purchased three beers, he lost our card within 60 seconds of giving it to him, he said he was looking for it, but he's not doing it, he's serving other people drinks, and I hated to be that person, but that card was so important, we had just gotten to Dallas, we had no other cards on us that was our main business card we needed it and I couldn't understand how that guy lost our card within the first 60 seconds of he ha- of him having it and it was it you or Caleb said well maybe he just gave it to somebody else I'm like I don't give a shit if he gave it to somebody else we need to figure out where the hell this card is at so that manager's like okay so he go he's like who who took it and I'm like that guy over there is the one who took it and I pointed to that other guy. They started to look for our card and tell them where they found it, Dan.
0: So both of them are looking for it. They're looking on the counters and stuff. Then I see the manager guy. He he leans down, pulls out his phone and turns on a light. So I'm just like, okay, maybe he's looking on the floor. No, he opens up their little mini fridge down below and he starts like moving stuff around in there, looking around. After like maybe 15 seconds, he pulls something out and he slams it on the counter. The other guy grabs it and comes over to us and it's our business card and it's freezing cold (laughs) and he hands it right back to us. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. He had
2: friggin' placed our business card inside the refrigerator. So I was like, damn, how the hell did that happen? But hey, I was glad we had the card then, you know?
0: Oh God, we were, we were stressing out about it because, you know, like I said, like that was, we just got to Dallas. Like that was everything for us right there. But yeah, I'm glad he found it. And he, he came over and apologized again and everything like that. Aaron looked, jumped on the table, looked down on him, was like, Don't you let it happen again. No, and I'm like, what no, the I hell, didn't. Aaron? Calm down. It was just one sip of beer, man.
2: No, that's not what happened. I was like, no, no, you're good. I hate to if I came off as a dick, blah, 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 blah. It's just this card's important. And we we were all good after that. Um but yeah, following that. There was a lot more stuff that happened and I think we should save the rest of it for maybe just a podcast movement meet and greet episode because it would make like as a good a- extra episode because that right there is just the tip of the iceberg <laughs> of what happened. That started like a decline of podcast movement. Right.
0: But yeah, I mean, it was definitely an experience. I don't know if I want to do all that again.
2: Yeah, it was an experience. It was a it, it was a lot to take in. That weekend was definitely a lot.
0: I don't know, that that for sure, podcast movement for sure made me feel like I was an outcast to the world of podcasting. This was It was weird.
2: Yeah, it, it was definitely weird being around all those elites. That's why I posted that picture on my Instagram with my nice semi-suit and said swimming with the sharks, because that's what I felt like. I felt like I was swimming with the sharks.
0: I didn't dress as nice as Aaron did, because, you know, Aaron had to do a, you know speech and all that stuff with him. I could tell you what, people did not look at me one bit. They're just like, who the hell is that guy dressing in friggin' shorts and a casual t-shirt?
2: Next time we go there, that's what I'm going to wear. I'm just going to wear, you know, regular jeans and a friggin' t-shirt and like a flannel or something. I'm going to be comfy.
0: Yeah, I mean, other than like the higher ups, a lot of people just wore casual clothing. So, yeah, I'm glad that was that. So I didn't like stand out too much with it, but it was definitely interesting.
2: It was. But yeah, we'll save the rest of the stories for uh, extra. Patreon special where we'll talk about it all. I'm down for that. Anyways, um, is there anything else you want to mention before we roll this episode out?
0: I am good. Definitely good. I, again, guys, I apologize for last week. No Patreon episode. I'm really sorry about that. I hope my apology helped.
2: That's right. You apologized to him, Dan. Did you just lick your dog? No, I just bit his ear. Oh, I was like, what the fuck did you? I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. I thought you licked him like, God damn, getting freaky in this studio. <laughs> he got you earlier, right? We won't say what happened. Yeah, he came out here and bit my dong. Anyways, all right. Well, with that being said, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you, every single one of you, for your support. It means a lot to us. And you were all amazing, every single one of you. Oh, and I love you, and I'm proud of every single one of you. Facts. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out?
0: Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because
2: you are not alone.